The Diabetes Podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking to your doctor. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Diabetes Podcast, where we try to empower diabetics to live the life they deserve. So today, Grady, we are talking about CGMs. Yes, we are. We've talked about them before, but um, this time we're going to have a little bit different twist on it in regards to not just type 1 diabetics using CGMs, but um, many of the other um, people in the population, whether it be type 2s or just normal people in general. Right. So, I mean, as this technology improves, it's been great for us as type 1 diabetics, but we might see advertisements or people not diabetic wearing it, and we want to kind of you know, understand a little bit more and, and discuss pros and cons of essentially anyone who's not type one diabetic um, and why they may or may not wear this. So mm-hmm. that being said, um, why are CGMs useful? Let's just kind of make sure if somebody is listening for the first time, what, what, it, why is our CGMs useful, Grady? Yeah, it's, it's something that we harp on a lot, which is just getting as much data as you can so that you can use that data to make better decisions and decisions that are going to make you more successful in controlling your blood sugar. So for type ones, I mean, it's crucial. I shouldn't say crucial, but it's just very, very helpful to have that much data that a CGM gives you of every five minutes, knowing essentially at least where your blood sugar may be or in that range, because it, it lags a little bit, a little bit behind of what your blood sugar actually is, but at least it gives you an idea of, where you're at and where you're going, um, which is which is really important because with just finger stick um, glucometers, you can go hours without checking it, and then you check it in that snapshot in time, and that tells you where you're at, but it doesn't necessarily tell you where you were and where you may be going. Um, and so, a CGM can really help fill the gap and also um, just give you a ton of information on. Um, things that you didn't necessarily know you needed information on. So like you thought everything was going well, and then you look back at your CGM and you've been high for two hours um, or you've been low, getting lower and didn't actually realize it or didn't think that you would be getting lower. And it's telling you, hey, you're getting low now. Um, so it really helps fill in those gaps. And, um, and then also helps you figure out how your body is responding to certain things, whether that be exercise, um, what you ate, um, different lifestyle choices. You can see, okay, I ate this and this spiked it really quick versus um, eating something else and that not having much of an effect, even though they may have a similar glycemic index and or um, sugar content. And so, uh, you know, in a perfect world, both of those things would do essentially the same thing, but for your body, one um, is a little bit different than the other. Right. Yeah. It's all about when the CGMs, the, the advantages, the rate of change um, that yeah. you can look at in any given situation. Uh, and that's really why I love it so much is the rate of change. In other words, how fast it's going up, how fast it's going down and mm-hmm. it's the same. Um, that information is almost more useful than the number itself. Yeah. You know? 
It wasn't until I believe uh, the Dexcom G6 where the FDA approved you can actually treat off the number. Before then, the FDA actually, all the CGMs that were FDA approved, you actually couldn't treat off of them. My point of bringing that up is even before when it was FDA approved to treat off the number, it was still hugely beneficial to see the rise and fall in with all those activities that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the external factors, internal factors going on simultaneously. And those things could be all the same, but now you're in a different environment completely. You know, it, it makes the rate of change so much more important. Um, and you don't need to have ever taken calculus to really appreciate the rate of change. If you're diabetic, you already are doing calculus every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just the data that's really important. Um, but I think we've already hit the number on the head and why we would want to look at as type ones, right? Yeah. So what about type two diabetics? You know, our, our brothers with the same name, brothers and sisters with the same name. Um, I'll even see some people, uh, some type one communities online say they don't even want it to be the same name as type two diabetes because they feel it's so drastically different. Um, you know, there's obviously similarities and differences between the two conditions uh, here, Doc, but uh, what are your thoughts on CGMs with type two diabetics or even just that comment that, oh, maybe they should be different type one and type two diabetes, even from a naming structure? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand why people feel that way because it it does feel very much different um, than type two, but at the same time, the, the um, classification I'll say of what's going on in the body is similar. Your blood sugar is high. That's causing you to um, pee a lot to get all that stuff out. And that's originally where the name came from um, is, is um, you know, diabetic diuretic, peeing a lot, getting all that stuff out. That's where that name came from. And so essentially that's why it's named that way. Um, and so to change it, I don't know. I don't, th- I don't think it's worth going through all the hassle of changing something like that, but uh, I understand. I do understand why people feel that way. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as using CGM for um, type two diabetics, I feel like it can be very beneficial for people. Um, in several different ways. One, just like the information we talked about with type ones, as far as how your body is responding to certain things. So both diet, obviously you can actually see how eating that donut is spiking your blood sugar, or at least keeping it really high. Um, and then saying, you know, that wasn't good. So let's maybe not do that. Um, and, or eating a bit, how eating a better diet is actually making it better. And so it can also help with people making better decisions more often because they can actually see how that decision is making a change and how significant that change is. And therefore like, Hey, this is worth it. Like this is worth making that decision because I'm seeing such a drastic change in this number um, versus when I was eating, my numbers were not looking too good. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a positive feedback. Um, saying like, Hey, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes for both diet and exercise. So like, you know, people have a hard time getting, getting up and moving because they don't have a whole lot of motivation. They don't see a, a whole lot of, um, value in it. And, but then you, you attach that number to it and say, Hey, your numbers are looking a heck of a lot better just by getting out and walking or something like that. And so that can be positive, um, in and of itself. So I think, and 
we see that oftentimes in clinical experience, people seeing numbers and seeing numbers change is oftentimes just, just helps with compliance and helps keep people motivated and wanting to make a change and, and um, sticking to their, their good habits and staying away from their bad habits. So I think those are kind of the two things that um, I think would be the most beneficial about having people with type two have a CGM is, you know, one, you can, you can tailor your care better, um, both personally and the doctor can tailor the care better. And then also it just helps reinforce and inspire them to continue to work hard and, and keep going. Yeah, I'll, I would agree. Um, you know, that last point in particular, you can, you'll find so many things, even as a type two diabetic to what changes your blood sugar that you had no idea. Yeah. Right. So often um, this is very anatomical. I'm not saying that this is a causation by any means, uh, but I have a woman who wears a Libre on her arm and she's type two diabetic. I see her as a chiropractic patient. Uh, so we're working on mobility and functionality and, and you know, addressing um, some pain patterns and some other things, but with the goal of just being able to stand for 30 minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. And after she adjusts, after I adjust her and go through some treatments, some exercises, some other therapies, when she leaves about 45 minutes after she leaves the office, her blood sugar drops, which is like really cool to hear and see. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, and that does mean she needs to come in every time to get her blood sugar down, but it's, a, it's just an effect right? yeah. that you can see, you can do the same type of effect of like, Oh, I meditated or, yeah. you know, I once even took a cold shower to drive the whole idea of cold shower is almost to like drive sympathetics up. So then you can drive it back down, right. To get a mm-hmm. parasympathetic state. And I once took a cold shower and I saw my blood sugar go up when it was low and I was trying to fast. So I wasn't trying to eat. And so I thought it was interesting to see like, wow, I could really see how my sympathetics turned on my, my uh, glycogen breakdown um, going on and go like, I wouldn't have noticed that if I didn't have type one or if I didn't have the CGM. Mm. So there could be all these little cool, fun things that are motivating of good, healthy habits. One could say and and see it um, whether type one or type two. And I'll even add a third point to why it's beneficial for maybe a, a type two diabetic to wear a CGM is that um, there's discussion and a very small amount of population between practitioners and people who do the labs of the accuracy of hemoglobin A1C, which we've talked about a little bit, and how an FDA approved, you know, glucose average number that is on these CGMs is maybe more accurate than the actual blood test which is a one, a wild concept. When you really think about it, our yeah. ability to look at blood and analyze it via an actual, you know, assay machines is less accurate than a Bluetooth signal of something that's in our body. You know, that's kind of a weird shift. Yeah. But, but there's so many things that can be happening with the hemoglobin, the molecule within in the red blood cell that's being measured for the sugar that could alter the, the results. For example, I have smaller red blood cell size and kind of the shapes are different in, in a minor form called thalassemia and where it's not life-threatening, but my blood chemistry is different. Mm-hmm. So I, every time I look at my own A1C, I have to think with an almost grain of salt, is this actually as accurate as it's saying it is? Because yeah. it'll be actually different than what my CGM data says. So you need to consider other blood disorders and blood chemistry while thinking about A1C 
as an average or measurement of a type two diabetic, which is really typically the only measurement that um, endos for type two might care about. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think in the future, CGMs can overtake A1C as far as the validity of what a person's average blood sugar actually is, um, because we're just getting better and better with the accuracy of the CGMs versus A1C. Like you said, there's a lot of variables that can play into it. And um, especially in regards to just affecting the overall number. Now, I think um, looking at a person like for yourself, example, for example, um, it may not be accurate as far as you comparing to a normal person, as far as their blood cells go, mm-hmm. but at the same time, looking at it from, from a month to month or a, you know, test to test basis to see where that line is trending, I think it's helpful still. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like you said, it's not necessarily the most accurate um, in regards to saying, okay, yeah, your average blood sugar was this, um, because your blood chemistry is a little bit different. And therefore that standardized test may not be actually that accurate versus actually taking your blood sugar every five minutes for three months. Seems like that would be a lot more accurate. Um, um, But I I think we're not quite there just because I I think we still have some improvements with the accuracy of the CGMs, although they've come so far. And I think right now, Um, we are doing really well with that, but, um, you also have to think about like how, how much they're wearing the CGM. So like if you're literally wearing it every day, then yeah, that's going to give you a pretty good, um, accurate, um, idea of where your average blood sugar is. However, there's people that go days or weeks in between their CGMs and therefore there's a big gap there. And so that probably isn't going to give you the most accurate, um, information. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. So lots of, and I think there's always going to be some human error um, to yeah. that too, you know, and uh, who knows what, you know, are you, is there going to be an actual feature of like, Oh, omit this data, these data points from here, from that average, maybe, maybe that's the solution. Maybe that's not possible. I don't know. I'm not a medical biomedical engineer working for these, you know, companies yeah. trying to develop this technology. Also like, I think where where we bridge that gap is having something that stays in your body and or can sense it for longer. So right now you can only go about seven to 10 days um, without changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to speak, <laughs> um, without changing the CGM. Although I did see that there is a new company out there that's that has an implantable device that you can leave in for 90 days. I did um, see but that's that. yeah. That's relatively new and I haven't really heard a whole lot about it um, as far as accuracy and all that stuff goes. But um, so that's kind of exciting news. But I think that's that's essentially where we get to that spot to where, hey, CGMs are more accurate because you're actually getting it every day um, versus, um, you know, going seven days and then not having it in for a week and then getting it back in and and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So let's almost now. Uh, with type two diabetics, there are almost two um, situations. Everything with diabetes in reality is a spectrum. Right? Yeah. But you cluster enough of people in certain areas of a spectrum, you can almost define it differently. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll almost count, um, define one as a pure only insulin resistant model of type two diabetes. They have their, their 
hyperglycemic, um, you know, their blood sugar isn't responding and their insulin relationship isn't as accurate as it should be versus the metabolically un uncontrolled, meaning what's called metabolic syndrome, and which is more than just diabetes, but it's things like hypertension or high blood pressure, um, you know, high triglycerides, all their lipids are out of whack. And this isn't a lipid uh, conversation <laughs> today, um, but just we'll just define it as high triglycerides, you know, high LDL, high cholesterol, and then waist circumference is part of that measurement too. Um, and then hyperglycemia, is there, is that all five or am I missing any there? Um, I would say with the lipids, I think it's more telling to have a low HDL versus just a pure high LDL because LDL can be elevated for a lot of different reasons and sure. relatively common. Mm -hmm. um, so I think low HDL is probably the more important indicator for that just because that's um, more of the, you know, they say the protective um, type of, of cholesterol. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of a more important indicator as far as metabolic um, disease, I guess. Definitions. Okay. Um, so if you don't want to paint a picture, you know, somebody can be type two diabetic and, and be skinny or be healthier looking or normal, you know, overweight versus metabolically uncontrolled could also look that way, but more likely than not, um, their physiology might look different just from an appearance of, of larger, more overweight, more obese kind of, mm -hmm. but it's not just by the weight and the looks so that we're, it's defined by the, those kind of metrics we already measured at, mm -hmm. um, so those are two completely different scenarios. I would say, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. So um, with one population, just the insulin, would you say there's any difference in the, let's say you only had to give um, one to one person, you know, you had one CGM and one person was insulin. This is a weird, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you rather here on the podcast with medical ethics? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather give a CGM to the purely insulin resistant model that, and they're both, let's say they're both motivated to change, right? Okay. That's the important part. Okay. All right. So that we'll talk about that in here in a second then, but they're both motivated to change their life. Um, and you can only give one to the insulin resistant model newly diagnosed versus the metabolic syndrome out of control metabolism. Is there a difference? Like, should you try to give it to both or, or what would you do? That's a tough question. If, if it's like a purely like, which one do you give it to? Um, it's tough because honestly, they both can benefit from it for the reasons that we just described as far as like what's getting them into that situation. Mm -hmm. um, I think if I had to choose, I choose the one that to me would feel like it's going to be harder to change. It's not going to just be simply... Um, lifestyle and diet mm -hmm. um and so therefore i think i would give it to the person who um does not have metabolic syndrome and therefore all these other um things that usually have to do with um diet and lifestyle stuff and give it to the the diabetic that seems relatively healthy however they still have you know classification of type 2 diabetes to me that person is like okay they're doing most of the right things, but yet they're still having problem with blood sugar metabolism. So let's get some more information on that and see why that is. Is there something that they're eating or is there that's relatively healthy, but for them, it's throwing their blood sugar way off and, or, you know, causing 
some sort of metabolic issues um, in their body. So I think, you know, the harder it is for somebody to reverse their condition or make it better to me is more of an argument for, Hey, we need more data and more information. So let's get that. Yeah. You would bring back down to the data conversation. What, who do you, who do you need the most data on to have the best type of intervention and change and respond to, um, and the more out of control um, your metabolism is the more data you may need. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously we would like to give every, you know, both those people, but this was a, would you rather, uh, type of scenario. Now, um, I threw in the caveat on there. I'm glad I did, um, that they were both motivated to change. Um, let's say, um, I'm not sure if I want to say one is more motivated than the other, but let's maybe just ask the question then and talk about how does motivation play a factor into acquiring a CGM for a type two diabetic? It's, it's really the most important factor. Like if somebody is not willing to change, why are we getting more data? Why are we spending more money? Because if they're not going to change anyways, then it doesn't matter. Um, and I, I was reading through an article yesterday that was going over um, different studies. And so some of them said, you know, CGMs were beneficial for type twos. Others showed no change, if not worse. And so he asked the question, okay, well, why is that? How is that possible? You have two different outcomes for across multiple studies. Well, it comes down to motivation and the willingness to change. Like if, if somebody's not willing to change, it doesn't matter if they have more data, like they're not changing anyways. So mm-hmm. if, if, if somebody has the motivation to change, giving them more data is going to make that change easier and more effective because they can be more precise with the things that they need to do. However, if they have no motivation, I don't, I don't care if you have um, all the data in the world, does, it doesn't matter. Mm, I, I agree completely. It's um, if you're not willing to change, you know, there's no point in having that, that type of data. I, I will echo you when you say that, you know, it's, it's not so much, oh, one person who's more metabolically out of control will be less likely to be motive. You can't think about it that way. It's an individual uh, conversation. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we're listening, maybe somebody, because there's prejudice in the world and we all have to fight our own prejudice within our minds. Yeah. If you're severe metabolically uncontrolled, you might say, well, that person clearly isn't motivated to change. But unless you have a sit down and have that conversation, they might be the most motivated to change, especially mm-hmm. at that particular moment. Yeah. And so there's no point in just saying, oh, yeah, only give it to them. It's you need to have a conversation with both these people, see if it's worth their while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if anything, you know, I feel like you would get to a some kind of rock bottom and you're like, I need to I need to make a change in my life. And and sometimes hitting that point is the most motivating factor at all you know mm-hmm. yeah so that being said you know they, there would be usefulness in both people there might you know motivation is probably the biggest factor but if motivation is equal the one who needs the most data mm-hmm. you know that still can be an individual choice or individual mm-hmm. response when you really boil it down because there's more than just the blood chemistry it's you might need more data because of lifestyle and work schedules and maybe they're third shift workers, you know, yeah. so many more aspects to um, intervening in your own metabolism and trying to correct your health than just 
A equals B, A plus B equals C. You know, yeah. that's not a formula like that. Yeah. Well, and like there's there's a lot of different ways of changing your diet to get your blood sugar working better. You have people that go more plant-based and are pretty su- successful. And then you have people that go to the other end of the spectrum where they're going more carnivore and they're having a lot of success. So ultimately, you know, what's going to work for you is, you know, and having that data to see, Hey, I'm eating more carnivore and things are getting better, or I'm eating more plant-based and things are getting better, whatever it is, you can actually see what's working for you and then run with it. Mm-hmm. And that, this is almost then just a, it's almost a tangent off of that, but more lifestyle is even like exercise. Like now yes. at the point with type one diabetes, I've run so much that if I was ever going to run another marathon, I would, ha- I would have to have a CGM mm-hmm. like running that long. I've seen the benefits of with and without it and stopping to check my blood sugar um, if it's in the summer, if it's in the cold, it changes the actual capillary blood test, you know, that type of assay and having the CGM for that data at that moment to make those real time decisions is invaluable, you know, mm-hmm. so more just considerations to think about what these people, what people are doing and not in terms of you as a listener, maybe, Hey, maybe I need this, or maybe my cousin needs this, you know, whatever have you. Yeah. Um, just more, just, it's all such a personal and, you know, medicine needs to continue to move towards the individualized, personalized type of model, but it's very hard because expenses, right? Yeah. That being said, um, it's much easier for an insurance payer to pay for a CGM for a type one versus a type two, right? Yeah. So um, I know you have some some numbers in front of you, Hugh Grady, and there's essentially three main CGM companies and products out there but there's more and more kind of trying to break through the market, right? Yeah. We have Medtronic has a CGM, their guardian. We have Dexcom, which is the Dexcom, which is, and then um, you have the Libre freestyle Libre by mm-hmm. Abbott. Right. Yep. And that, that one has always been like a pseudo CGM, but you can get adapters to make it a CGM. And I'm sure they're working their way towards that or options. Yeah. You don't yeah. need additional outside companies to make it a CGM. So um, those are the kind of the three big companies, but um, what are other ones that you may have, or, or is there any more what, man, worth mentioning? Um, the new one that I mentioned that has the 90 day life where it's an implantable one is since, since Onyx um, ever since is the company's name. And um, so that one's kind of the new one on the market. It just, just hit the market i think this past year during the pandemic so they kind of opened up and then they kind of had to shut back down because of the pandemic and i think they're they're kind of going again but i think it's sounds like it's kind of hard to hard to get um in general just because they're just starting and so that i don't think their supply is super high right now got it okay so that being said what is you know there's so many factors that drive the list price even by definition, the list price should be the same. Rather, there's so many factors in how we can get information and who's reporting that information um, and the willingness for the companies to report the accurate information directly to people. Um, but what on the article you recently kind of compared and contrast things, what was the list price for non-insurance um, prices of these CGMs? So this doesn't say if it's, with insurance or without insurance, 
for, from what I can tell, it seems like a, um, like an average price because the Medtronic, cause I have a Medtronic and I have a Medtronic CGM and this is a little bit lower than what I pay. So I'm assuming it's more of an average of what people pay, whether they have based off of their insurance type and, and everything. But um, kind of a quick rundown of it, of what it says is Dexcom, the transmitter. So the thing that sends the information to your device is $300. And um, then it's $600 for the receiver. So those are just basically initial prices. But then the sensors themselves, so the things that you actually put into your body um, and have to replace are about $80 per sensor. So that's about every seven to 14 days, you got to put a new one in. And then um, Abbott, so the Freestyle Libre, the sensor or scanner costs about 60 bucks. And the actual sensor that you put in is about 40 bucks per sensor, which is obviously significantly less. But like you said before, it's not necessarily a true CGM because you have to actually scan it. So it's not going to alert you when you're getting low or something like that or getting high. Um, so you have to have the wherewithal to scan it because you feel funky or something like that. So, um, there so there's ways. some setbacks to that, but it is a lot cheaper. There, um, there is a way to make the Abbott um, a CGM, more of a CGM. There's some other company that almost looks like a clip you attach to it. No, and then, no that like reads it more constantly. I haven't looked into it at all, but I just, I kind of just got in my field um, the other day. Um, So more and more people are finding ways or like additional companies to improve the technology. Um, Obviously if you do any kind of tampering, that might mess with any kind of warranties going on. But um, I did see some type ones figure out a way to make it more of a CGM, but you know, I haven't looked into it personally. Yeah. Um, and then Medtronic, so the transmitter, and they just came out with the new transmitter because um, they wanted to be able to send it to a phone, um, so they can do that now. But um, the transmitter is a thousand bucks, and then um, per sensor, it's about eighty bucks. For me, when I buy mine, it's about one hundred twenty per sensor, um, so it's pretty darn expensive. And then the the new one, the Sensonics, which is the 90-day um, implantable one, is says about 1400 bucks for the initial initial package, which includes the sensor, transmitter, adhesives, and start guides, and then it's about um, 200 to 300 for an, a single insertion. So that's that 90-day, and then 300 to 400 for the removal of that insertion. So bit of a process for that one. Um, we'll see how, we'll see how that one takes off if it does. Right. So I mean, unless you are planning just to pay outright for these products, you know, that kind of gives you a ballpark and on how expensive they are, just period. Yeah. Right? Uh, most people will use TPAs or third-party ministers or insurance companies um, to get these. Um, however, you know, if you're a type two diabetic, it might be harder for you to get. Um, qualified to do that, which I think is insane. Because if you want the data and you're motivated, you you should be able to get that, mm-hmm. um, or get, or at least get one one version of it. One company that does yeah. something it might not be the one you necessarily want, and that's you know a different conversation about our healthcare system. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. even type one diabetics don't get what they want because right. like, 
I've always wanted a Dexcom, but yeah, my insurance has never covered it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's crazy when you even think about it that way too. Right. I remember, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, um, but in, in between time when I didn't have a CGM, I got addicted to the data. So mm -hmm. I, I was like doing finger pricks like 14 times a day, like, or even more, maybe 20. I'd like, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I was tracking my own Excel sheet and making my own CGM in Excel. <laughs> um, just cause I really liked seeing the trends. And so, um, I was get ordering more test strips and then I got denied for test strips all because some drop down box somewhere, some person that it got switched where I was type one to type two. Yeah. And that infuriated me. Um, one, cause I didn't change anything and I'm just, you know, my condition hasn't changed. Um, <laughs> But two, and if you're me, because if a type two diabetic wanted to check their blood sugar more than three to five times a day, they should be able to mm -hmm. you need to be able to know your blood sugar more than just before breakfast, lunch, dinner. Yeah. Have the freedom to figure that out. Um, Cause essentially that's what I believe most insurance couriers like will pay for was, is that amount. I could be wrong in that. Sometimes it's even less. I've heard some people say it's like, one or two times a day that they'll pay for that's asinine yeah that's ridiculous um and that's this, this is where i get fired up like if you if you have the motivation to take control of your life and your health you should absolutely not be limited because of your insurances mm -hmm. like that's just that's, that's insane to me um so but that being said if it's you know if it is it worth it in terms of the price for a type 2 diabetic um, for the list price, you know, ultimately that's an individual question with your insurance, you know, each plan, there's so many plans <laughs> within even member ID numbers, uh, uh, within insurance groups. Um, so it, it's all varied. However, you need to ask yourself, is this something that I think I would actually use and benefit myself? And in which case is it then worth the time of figuring out, does my insurance pay for it? can I go through a third party and minister? So I don't even get my Dexcom straight from Dexcom. I get it through a, a company called Byram Health. I know Edge Parts, another big third party minister. I think Edge Part also does a lot of like breast pumps, you know? So third party administrators can be a tool for you to get more access. Cause I think that's how my insurance, my insurance doesn't pay for Dexcom to send me stuff. They will not because they're contract with Medtronic, I believe, but they I will see. pay for third party companies then they have a relationship with Dexcom to send me stuff. So we are loopholes and business strategies. I can't really go into detail because that's not my, you know, but, but the third party will potentially make it more affordable. Some people, you know, we're talking about CGMs, but insulin, some people get their insulin from like Walmart and Costco and mm -hmm. Sam's club. You know, there are maybe ways of getting cheaper forms of this in other ways. But the question, is it worth it? regarding insurance and just list prices for a type two diabetic. Uh, that's really pretty much, um, you know, you got to look into it individually, but if you're motivated and think you'd use the data, it's worth looking into. Yeah. And even if it's just for a short time, um, cause like you said, like it's sometimes it's hard to make that pull that trigger because you see you have it in your cart and you see that number. Cause like I, I haven't ordered CGMs and, probably a year because I, I look at how much they are because per box it's like 600 bucks or something like that 
And I look at that, I'm like, man, it's really hard to click that button. Mm -hmm. And for the last year, I'm like, you know what? I've been doing pretty well, just just checking it pretty frequently with my glucometer. You know what? I can do a lot with six hundred dollars. I think I'm gonna keep it in my pocket and uh, and just go off of my glucometer. So, but that's me, and I've already had like a lot of data from the CGM already. Um, so, if you're a type two listening to this, just getting it, you know, one box giving you, you know, a month and a half or more of that CGM data and going off of what you find out with that. So like you, you go for that month and a half and you're tweaking different things, exercise, diet, and you find out a really good formula for yourself. Hey, maybe you go without that CGM for a while, recheck your A1C. If it's a lot better, Hey, let's just keep doing it. If it's better, but not as good as you want it to. All right, let's maybe get some more CGM and get more data to tailor made, um, tailor make your, um, your, your healthcare plan. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point is that it doesn't have to be something forever. This can yeah. be a, a month and a half, three month experiment that you're doing on yourself. Um, and then taking that information that you might need to do it, experiment another year later, you know, like you said, in your situation a year later, or I've definitely gone had times in between um, CGMs just because of insurance reasons. Right. So it's, if you're invested and involved in your health, it's, more than likely than not, you'll learn something from it, which makes it valuable because mm-hmm. your life is worth investing into. Yeah. Like your, your life is worth working out to be able to do everything you possibly can to limit complications, to be able to live the best life that you can you should never be limited. And it comes to, if this CGM, if you can use this data to potentially do that, it's worth it mm-hmm. because our blood sugar is, is like our lifeblood and, yeah. and and it's worth paying it back into yourself for all the hardships that we go through as diabetics not even type 1 and type 2 but as diabetics all the hardship we go through it is worth the at least investigation of will i make my life better Mm -hmm. yeah so we talked a lot about type 2 diabetics but what about non-diabetics you know i feel like this will be a less of a question or maybe it won't i don't know we'll find out here in a moment Um, But, you know, I think a lot of people, maybe there's two camps. I feel like if you're non-diabetic, why you would maybe get a CGM. One is maybe you're pre-diabetic and you literally are trying to live the preventative lifestyle and trying to not ever get that A1C that's above 6.5, right? Because that's the pre-diabetes line and A1C Mm 6.5. Or maybe you're a fitness enthusiast and you like and um, without any judgment, you have the, um, liquid capability in terms of cash, as well as then freedom to ability to buy other gadgets, um, really nice running watches or whoops or other fitness enthusiasts, you know, um, without any judgment of those people, um, one way or the other, those would be the two people that I could think of as a non-diabetic who would maybe want to consider a CGM um is there anyone else in your mind who would maybe i mean fitness enthusiasts but i think also that kind of goes right along with that is just um like health nuts in general like people maybe people who aren't necessarily like gung-ho about performance but are more gung-ho about like hey am i metabolically healthy is this diet working well really well for me because i'm like super hyped about this diet i feel really good but is my body reflecting that sort of thing Mm mm-hmm 
Okay. So fitness enthusiasts, as well as maybe just health, health conscious people. Yeah. So uh, let's, since we just talked about them, what, what about those? Is it worth those people to, um, let's not talk about the ethical conversation of insurance should pay for it because we're having a hard enough time paying for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So we'll leave that conversation, uh, either off the record or for another time or something like that. Yeah. Um, or not even for us. Cause we're not insurance experts. Right. Um, but if somebody wanted, if these people want to go through third-party administers and, or just have access to this, um, should they, you know, what, you know, what, what do you think about those types of people wearing our, our robot parts? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love it because I'm very much right where with right there with them, as far as like wanting to know as much about my body as possible, because you can sometimes trick yourself into feeling, thinking that you're feeling great when you're actually not really feeling um, optimal. And so having that information is, is really nice to see, okay, yeah, my body is working really well. And yeah, I am feeling pretty good. So everything's matching up. And at the same time, like being able to see, again, just like what we said with the type ones and type twos to see what lifestyle, what diet, what form of exercise is working best for you and it just gives you more data. So whether you're looking at strictly like, uh, I guess, a complete metabolic panel to see how your body's functioning there, that's obviously good information. But then just to see how your, how your blood sugar is throughout the day is really nice information to have to see, hey, how is my body responding? Because like what we talked about with, uh, with Don in our last episode, and he uses that information to see when he's under stress. And therefore, he says, hey, I, my body is stressed right now. I'm going to try to re remove that stress. So whether that's for him stopping running and just taking a break or whatever it is, like somebody thinks, Hey, I'm, I do fine getting three hours of sleep and I, I feel fine, but then they have a CGM on them and then they see that their blood sugars are just all out of whack throughout the day. And then they're like, Oh, let's try sleeping, you know, eight hours for a week. <laughs> and then they see, Hey, my blood sugar is working really well. And I feel a ton better, even though I thought I was, I was feeling really good. <laughs> Shots fired, Brady. <laughs> um, yeah, I was about to bring up the, the sleeping example. It, people can easily trick themselves thinking they can run off three to five hours of sleep and feel great. Um, but if you have this data, you, you might find out otherwise and then act differently. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, if you are, if you're somebody who's health conscious and you want to make a change, um, you know, hopefully there's a, a situation where they can, you know, um, get access to it. I don't think as type one diabetics, who, which is majority of people listen to this or type twos or, or anyone, I don't think there should be any kind of, um, anger or frustration on seeing someone who's not diabetic wearing it, um, because it's technology for anyone to be able to, um, get better in their health. You know, majority of Americans, um, aren't type two diabetic or aren't diabetic, it's leading that way, but majority of Americans are almost overweight and obese. Mm -hmm. um, and so meaning more people than not need to probably start learning a little bit more about their health and may start making changes. And mm -hmm. for the reasons we've talked about somebody in um, one of the two type two diabetic camps earlier, if somebody's a non-type two diabetic and they want to, maybe they don't have diabetes, but they have um, Hashimoto's. And they know that their blood sugar might be affected, but they don't actually have prediabetes. 
why would they why should that person not you know yeah. be curious on what their blood sugar is doing even if it's for 90 to you know 45 to 90 days yeah or like there's a lot of people that struggle with low blood sugar because whether it's because they don't eat enough or eat often enough or whatever that is they can use this information to figure out what type of diet, what type of eating frequency, how much they can eat, how much they should eat based off of that, that CGM data and saying, Hey, my blood sugar is staying pretty level when I eat like this. But Mm -hmm. when I go, you know, hours without eating, man, I drop really low. Or when I eat only carbohydrates, it spikes, but then it goes right back down. And so I need to do something different. Right. So then a instead of just asking the same question for the, those who are literally in the pre-diabetic range, 6.5 to 7.0 with their A1C, instead of asking, should they, it, it's more of a question than, is, the, is it necessary for a pre-diabetic? And is there more necessity over that person versus somebody who already has type 2 diabetes? Yeah. So I think that's always a, a tough question. Like, me as like a holistic and like functional medicine practitioner to me it's like if we can get data on somebody in some different way let's try to get data on it Mm -hmm. Um, however like realistically looking at what that would cost both the patient and also just our healthcare system in general um, i think maybe doing a trial care first is is a better option and then if if that doesn't work then all right maybe we need to get more data and to be able to get more specific so it kind of comes back to my original point about um if something is hard to fix or hard to get better like a certain condition well let's get more data on it and so if if a cgm is going to be or very helpful for that well then let's do that um, but if it's a situation where it's not necessarily emergent and we don't need that information, well, maybe a trial of care is better first. And then if we're sh- coming to a plateau or we're struggling with making a change, then obviously we need more data because we just need more information on why this person sure. is not changing and what we can do to make that better. Yeah, that's a, that's a great thought and idea because that's, you know, that idea of trial of care is already embedded in, in healthcare systems, for example, um, you know, somebody might think they, you know, blew out a disc and need fusion right away. Like they just want to run to the surgeon's office and they might want an MRI right, right away and they might get the MRI, but even the MRI sometimes is questionable because mm-hmm. of how expensive it is. And they say, why don't we do a trial of care first? Go to the physical therapist, go to a chiropractor, you know, try to move your body, try to get your, try to get healthy without it. And then if you fail that trial of care, then let's talk about surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so doing trial care, conservative care, because um, in reality, the CGM and lifestyle might be more conservative than getting somebody on inject, injectable insulin and they go down metformin and all those rabbit holes later on, right? Mm-hmm. So that might still be come out net positive uh, scores for cost benefit. So yeah, trial of care might be a, a great caveat to the question, should pre-diabetics get it? Yeah. You know, and, and I think we should maybe leave it at that because I think we've already established the benefit of CGMs. Um, even in non-diabetics, why somebody could um, want it and learn about it. And you know, 
Um, trial of care is probably a good um, middle ground to connect people to their healthcare that they want, that they want to have. So, yeah. Mm. Good, good. Um, just and we were curious on having this conversation just because it's, you know, this technology is rapidly changing um, and I'm starting to see more ads on, on social media about mm-hmm. this type of information. Uh, so it is more readily out there. So I'm sure some people were curious. So um, I think this was a good place to leave this at in terms of, um, I think type two diabetics, you know, if they're motivated, get, get the data if they can. And then, um, but always trial of care is always best. Mm-hmm. Right? And no matter what, if you are motivated, there is a way for you to get healthy. Yep. You know, it might take time, it might taking the right guidance from the right practitioner. Um, but you know, it is possible for you to live the life that you want to live, mm-hmm. live the life that you deserve. And so, um, I think always telling people that there's hope, um, with these situations is probably the biggest thing. Oh yeah, definitely. So, all right. You got anything else for us, doc? Uh, that's all I got. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning into this episode of the Diabetes podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. See you. so much for listening to today's episode if you found value in today's conversation we would appreciate if you gave a five-star review it really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it if you want to interact with us on social media you can follow us on the die buddies podcast on facebook twitter and instagram or if you have any questions comments concerns or moral outrages you can email us at the die buddies podcast at gmail.com thanks